Hello dear listener, welcome back to my reading of Canterbury Tales. Chapter 4, Grasping the Dream The first three months of our new lifestyle were a bit of a roller coaster of emotion. Not having huge financial resources, there was a lot, not a lot in the coffers after we had replaced the car, computer, phone etc. Especially bearing in mind the unbudgeted cost of the septic tank and artesian well, memories of which still irk me. We had for several years, every Friday, been enjoying a lovely lunch at a nearby restaurant. The generous antipasto platter, the superb bottle of Shiraz, followed by a shared slab of homemade cheesecake, washed down with a cappuccino, with cinnamon sprinkled on top, was our regular treat, and something we really looked forward to. Reluctant to give up this simple pleasure, we decided to continue it, but fortnightly, not weekly, then later, monthly, as we waited for my long-delayed payout to arrive. I was taking a sip of Shiraz as I contemplated my next mouthful of perhaps blue cheese and artichoke or mm, sun-dried tomato and brie. When my cell phone sung to me, it was my employment attorney with some good news and some not-so-good news. The good news was that my out-of-court settlement payout, yes, I had challenged my redundancy, had at last arrived, but the bad news was that it was half the agreed amount, which had not been particularly significant in the first place. Mr Smiley had invited me to challenge the situation in court if I wanted to, fully aware that corporate lawyers could spin it out until any gain would be lost in legal fees, a view confirmed by my lawyer, who also informed me that he would now be sending me his invoice. So ended our final Friday afternoon treat as we headed home to our new reality. Any mild sense of denial we may have had was gone. Our little buffer, as we eased into a self-sufficient lifestyle, had now been slashed, and we had work to do. Our website had been up for a few months now and did look very attractive, but there were not many people visiting it. The website guy who had been recommended to us had done a great job designing the framework and I told him that I'd take care of the content and the marketing side of it. It really did showcase the farm with its gentle, attractive contours, which were unusual here on the plain, and the animals and gardens and barn stay room, but it needed to start generating business and quickly. I began researching website marketing and search engine optimization and learning computer code, and it wasn't very long, through a combination of linking with other sites, using keywords and meta tags and so on, that visitor numbers did start showing an increase. We were delighted to receive an official Google page ranking of our homepage of 0 out of 10, which was in fact a breakthrough, as prior to that Google did not even know that we were there to rank. It was with great excitement that we received an email through warwicksfarm.com one afternoon, inquiring about a week's accommodation in the barn. An academic from the renowned Mayo Clinic in the States had been doing some research involving the impact of spending extended periods of time at very high altitudes in aircraft, and rather than spending months in the air at huge cost, had decided to conduct tests on the staff at the US Antarctic base where the air pressure was the same as at altitude. The project completed... She was about to head home but wanted to spend some time adjusting herself back into non-polar conditions and generally have some time to relax in the sunshine, somewhere nice and safe for a single woman, somewhere green and friendly where she could thaw out and we apparently fitted her bill. Yes, our first guest was going to be arriving to stay with us from the South Pole. We had test run the barn as bed and breakfast accommodation when my elderly parents had visited from Australia late the year before and everything appeared fine. A nice cosy bed, a warm room, TV, DVD player and stereo that all worked. A toilet that flushed and a shower that was user-friendly. It was thus with confidence, but with a little trepidation, as first-time hosts, 
that we confirmed her dates and looked forward to her arrival. She replied that she was delighted she was coming, and could we pick her up from Christchurch? Yes, we quickly replied. Not a problem. Elaine and I looked at each other with beaming faces. We were at last in the hospitality business, and not unemployed. How easy it was all going to be. People would go to the website, make a booking, come and sleep in the room, have a breakfast and give us money. Next please, ching ching. Coming inside from feeding the chooks an hour or so later, I said to Elaine a slight frown on my face, This Debbie woman coming from the South Pole, she needs picking up, right? I asked. Yes, you know that, Elaine replied. Okay, work with me here. She doesn't have a car and we live in the country. What is she going to do for her meals apart from breakfast for six days, I asked. Well, we'll have to feed her, I suppose, Elaine said, a frown now starting to crease her face too. Hmm, I responded. Elaine's frown, turning into a big grin, as she said to me, A good thing you've got me, isn't it? I've already sent her an, e- an email explaining this, and she's happy to pay an extra $180 for her meal. Ching, ching, I said, reaching out to give her a hug. My beautiful wife was raised in the country, unlike myself, and spent her earlier years growing up on a chicken farm. It is no longer a chicken farm, but apart from the railway carriages Elaine used to play in as a child, the place is still pretty much as it was then. Rambling orchards and free-range chooks and cats and big old trees surrounded the ancient old white settlers' cottage, with its welcoming veranda facing the country lane. This was obviously the early source of her country wisdom and no-nonsense attitude to life. Things that were to keep us safe and get us out of trouble over the years here on Warwick's farm. Debbie Judy arrived and was a delightful introduction into the slightly scary world of being responsible for a stranger's safety and security and well-being. An older lady who was obviously missing her family. Debbie took an instant liking to young Cody, whom she spoiled rotten throughout the week. Even a year later she was still corresponding with him and sending him packs of Yu-Gi-Oh cards to add to his rapidly expanding collection. Easy to please and thankfully feed. Debbie enjoyed the time with us, relaxing in a green environment for a change and enjoying the alpacas. Asking whether we offered tours as an optional extra for our guests, having no idea she was in fact our first one, we immediately replied that we did, tentatively offered a price that she happily accepted. A couple of enjoyable days were spent touring the antique shop of the Greater Christchurch area and visiting Rakaia Gorge and Arthur's Pass in the heart of the breathtakingly gorgeous Southern Alps. We said our farewells to Debbie, who had arrived as a guest and left us as a friend, packing her and her numerous cases and lovely craft purchases from the barn into one very cramped little car. Waving to her before driving away from the airport, I took a great deal of satisfaction, knowing that we had enjoyed a good week, made a reasonably large wad of money, and probably most of all that Debbie still had no idea that she was our very first guest and one from the South Pole to boot. Not a bad way to start off in the hospitality stroke tourism business, I thought. Ding. It turned out to be an extraordinarily good way to kick off, but unfortunately it was an aberration. It was to be many years before we could enjoy such stays on a regular basis, and even then only during the peak seasons. However, however we had indeed kicked off, and we were officially living off the property. A few weeks later, though, the bills were starting to mount up, and the income streams were but a trickle, and the nights were becoming restless. We were basically living off the last of our savings and the settlement money was fast depleting. Our planning was good and we could see how it could all work out in the future. We were taking bookings for tours and the odd night's accommodation. But the stress levels were rising along with our anxiety and insomnia. We needed an injection of regular cash to tide us over. 
We had withdrawn from the Consumer Society. The cocktail cabinet was dry and we discovered what little treasures could be found in second-hand shops. While we may not have looked it, we had become members of the Survivor Society. Enough is enough, I thought. I'll just have to get a job. Any job to get us back on our feet, I decided. By now my soft pink businessman's hands had hardened up so I would probably be fine in a road gang. Somewhere, I thought soberly. Scanning the local rag, I noticed a jobs vacant advert, one of the few, for a cleaner's position at a nearby university. I decided I'd make an appointment and announce my intentions to Elaine. Lowering her head, she slowly nodded to herself and looked up at me, a smile radiating from her beautiful face. Chris, she said, if you go to work, our whole dream will collapse. We need you to run the farm. I'm too small to deal with the larger animals, and anyway, I've already had an interview, and I start on Monday. Three hours a night, weeknights. I stood stunned. Utterly stunned. I'll be free during the day to help with guests and tours and catering and things, and... Interrupting her, I said, But you're retired. After all those long years, this is now your time to relax, and... Interrupting me this time, Elaine started in her no-nonsense tone, For God's sake. You make me sound like an old woman. We need money, and I'm going to get some. I'm sick and tired of not being able to sleep for worrying. That was my gal, and I knew from her tone of voice that the issue was over with. I also knew that now I would really have to step up to the plate.